Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Uphill Athlete podcast. I'm uh, Sam Naney, a coach with Uphill Athlete, and today I have the pleasure of talking with professional free skier and ski mountaineer Cody Townsend, uh, who has a long and illustrious career in skiing, uh, free skiing, uh, performing, doing a lot of ski films, and then most recently diving into a pretty awesome project uh, called uh, Chasing the 50 Classics, uh, Classic Ski Descents of North America. So we're going to get into a lot of stuff on the project and skiing, and in particular Cody's training as he uh, as he chases these lines. Uh, so, yeah, here we are, man. Um, it's been... Uh, kind of a, a funky start to the winter for you. I, I can imagine given the, given the, the way conditions have been lining up or not lining up. Yeah, no, it has been a, a weird year specifically for trying to uh, climb and ski big lines has been kind of off the table. I would say so far we, anyone that follows winter sports right now knows like one of the number one stories is just a horrendous avalanche year. Um, you know, unprecedented amount of fatalities and accidents, which is incredibly sad. And I think it's, there's a multitude of factors to it, but, um, for myself, what it's meant is being patient and not necessarily chasing lines and chasing this project uh, called the 50 that, um, uh, until things stabilize. So still home in Tahoe, uh, just keep her in mellow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe to, get us a couple of things I want to do to get us started. I want to dive into the 50, but maybe, um, since we're, we're, we're merging audiences here. So we have uh, a whole bunch of folks in, in the uphill athlete podcast first, uh, in mountaineering and trail running and all the rest. And then, and obviously now we've got, you know, we've got a big crew of skiers and backcountry skiers, but, uh, maybe give a, give a brief background on yourself, kind of how you got into skiing first, first as a, uh, I know you were a competitor for a long time and then as a free skier and, uh, and yeah, moving into, into what you're doing now with, with more of human power and ski mountaineering. Yeah. We can kind of talk, uh, the way you and I talked when we first started uh, yeah. giving the background history before we started training together. So yeah, I grew up in uh, Santa Cruz, California. I was, uh, actually grew up in near the beach and was your typical weekend warrior driving up to, to the mountains on the weekends. My parents had a little cabin and like a true, it was like a forest service cabin. And I fell in love with skiing from just like the youngest of age. Um, I think I pretty much remember the time when I decided I'm going to be a skier. Um, when most most kids are dreaming of being like astronauts or firefighters. Um, I was like six years old watching ski films, just going, I'm, I'm going to be a skier. And uh, somehow that worked out. Um, I started off being a competitive alpine ski racer, so kind of had the Olympic dreams. Um, my vision and dream of being a skier didn't necessarily have one specific form. I just wanted to ski. At that time, uh, ski racing was definitely like the biggest form that you could make it as a professional skier. Um, and I did pretty well. 
excel at it. I ski raced around the country um, internationally until I was about 20 years old. Um, you know, I was ranked number one in the world at one point for my age. Um, did pretty well when when I was in my teens. Um, but at the same time, I started to get pretty burnt out by it. Um, just wasn't essentially in love with it as much I was just the act of skiing. And for me, it actually really all synthesized. I remember a day when I actually won a race, had one of like my best runs ever in a in an event I didn't really actually perform very well in typically. And uh, I won and I remember getting down and I was like, that night I was just sitting there. I'm like, oh, I'm not any more happy. I'm not like really a better person because I won. So so why are you doing this? If this is the point of ski, ski racing is to win. You don't even enjoy winning right now. So um, that kind of spelled my downfall from ski racing. And I started dreaming about free skiing. And meanwhile, like the free ski revolution was happening in my backyard, which was uh, Squaw Valley, California, uh, my home mountain. And there was just all the legends of the sport were in Squaw at that time. So I was fortunate enough from a pretty young age, start chasing those guys around, guys like Shane McConkie, Kent Kreitler, um, JT Holmes, the Gaffneys, and just like, skiing free skiing with the best in the world and uh kind of got a little bit of mentorship and started going down that path um that path of free skiing and doing that kind of skiing which is what you see in all the ski movies jumping off big cliffs uh big spine lines in alaska a lot of helicopters snowmobiles and just high performance skiing kind of lasted up until about five years ago um I did that for about 10 to 12 years and chased that dream as far as I wanted to chase it. And um, at the end of that run, I kind of, I almost started to get uh, less inspired by it. I felt like I achieved everything I wanted in that sport and that kind of avenue of it. Um, I didn't have any dreams further than what I had already done. And what I also knew that there was this quotient of like where I was pushing it was getting to an extremely, extremely dangerous part. And I'd lost a lot of friends in the sport at that point. So I kind of started looking outwards and trying to figure out what's next in skiing. And that's what I think is the the beauty of skiing is that, you know, I'm been a professional skier for I've been a sponsored skier for over 20 years and I feel like in the last five years I've like learned a whole new aspect of the sport with uh, human powered adventure with expedition style skiing and just with ski mountaineering Um, I feel like I've been kind of learning the mountains in a whole new way and uh, learning my own body learning the connection to the natural world learning like the, the aspects of going into the mountains just on your own and a whole new way and i'm really really enjoying it that's led to the 50 which is my dream to try and climb and ski all 50 of the 50 classic ski descents in north america yeah and so that um so the so the 50 project came kind of spawned not only out of what what you're saying like this this sort of evolution of yourself as a skier and and wanting to kind of put this skill set more comprehensively to use in the mountains. Uh, but then also like the, like the direct inspiration was the book, right? So a book of the 50 classic ski lines and, and the idea, like, can you, can you, ta- you know, tag all of these lines and however long it takes, right? Like, I mean, some yeah. of them, some of them you can bang off in, in one season, go boom, boom, boom. But then there are a handful at least in there, maybe you know, probably more that are, very conditions dependent and uh, unique that have only been skied, you know, once, three, five times. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was funny because I would say it was about, it was 2014 and that was a year I skied the crack, which was like the most insane line ever. The line that went super viral was on like sports center and stuff and put me on the news. And, um, just like, that was actually the year I was like in 2015, I'm like, all right, what's next. And then that's when I started going on kind of more human powered adventures, uh, more expedition style of skiing. And I was actually searching just for what, what was next in skiing. And I kind of would kind of, I was exploring different avenues of the sport and just quietly, like still doing my job as a professional skier, but trying to like dabble in little aspects, dabble in different mountain ranges, go to Europe, did the, the, however you say it. <laughs> and um i went to the himalaya um and then it really all started narrowing down was i was like i really enjoyed uh human powered skiing and i really enjoyed north american mountains and um it was that book that actually came out in 2010 and i got a copy of it funny enough i have pictures in it of of a line but when it came out it didn't speak to me i just like picked it up looked at it i was like oh, that's cool and put it down and it, it wasn't in, yeah, it just it was just sitting there. And then it wasn't until I started kind of doing dabbling in these other aspects of the sport that I really, really realized that I was like, wait, no, this book is all of a sudden speaking to me. And I would like see the line like the Grand Teton. I'm like, one day I got to do the Grand. Like it's, it has to happen. And then uh, a couple lines on there, like University Peak, which is on the cover, was just like uh, one day, man, I got to ski that line. And then it started to just materialize until it was like, well, you got so many on here. Why don't you just try and ski them all? <laughs> and then I was like, did some research. I'm like, has anyone ever done this? And uh, is anyone trying? And I was just like going through it all. And I spent like two years kind of in my own head, planning it out, mapping it out, seeing if it was doable, um, not speaking to anybody about it. Cause I didn't want to speak it to, to life and speak it to a commitment. Um, I just talked to my wife and that's it about it. And, uh, it was in 2018, like midway through the season. And I was just like, that's what I'm doing. I next year I'm starting this project. I'm dropping everything else that I've done in the sport, all the film skiing, um, every aspect of, of the sport I was used to. And I'm like committing to that. And, uh, so now we're here two plus years later and that's been my life for the last two years. And how much, uh, so in, in the life that you had, if we call it, you know, it's kind of that, that previous iteration of you as a skier, as a free skier, um, during that time, like how much of the skill set that you came to leverage for the 50 or have been leveraging for the 50 were you building? So obviously, you know, extremely talented and competent skiers skiing, you know, as you said, insane lines, huge cliffs, like the, the, the technicality of it. Uh, but, but what about all those other pieces that are now really being employed in the 50s? So, you know, stability evaluation and, you know, logistics of trips and, and gear and planning, all of that stuff. So with that had, had a lot of that stuff been fomenting and building through the course of your free skiing career, or was that when you started thinking about the 50 and, and considering that as the next Avenue, did you start lining up those different uh, skill sets and be like, I need to start honing the edge here as well? Yeah. Like what I, what I brought into the the project before, like, I had a wealth of knowledge when it came to snowpack, snowpack evaluations, mountains. Um, I've been lucky enough to travel all across the world and understand snow. Um, I've 
was always the guy when I was on heli trips that I was, I was hanging out with the guides. I was hanging out with guide me- in guide meetings. I was talking to them, their, their evaluations. I was always curious about that side. And I really prided myself on trying to make my own decisions without a guide there. And so I, I was able to bring what I thought was just like a, a level of experience and knowledge in the backcountry to, to this project. Um, but, and it's something I say with ski mountaineering specifically is like, we tend to focus on the ice axes and the ropes and the knots you're tying as like, that's all of a sudden when it becomes ski mountaineering. Well, those skills you can kind of learn and you can learn a lot of them really quickly. You can learn half of them in a day and the rest of them in a couple of days. And that's not what it ultimately is like the decider of success or failure. It's like, it's your decision-making skills, your experience with snowpack, your mental evaluation, like the, the, the ability to read snow, the ability to read mountains is truly what goes into ski mountaining, I think is the most important part. And I felt like I had a lot of that already, but I also knew I had a lot to learn. Um, what I didn't have coming into it was one, the knowledge of like how hard physically this was going to be. Um, I wanted to try and do this fast. I was trying to like check off as many within a year as I could. Like I wasn't just going to make this a 20 year project. I actually originally said I was going to try and do it in three years. Um, that was only just for me to be like, can you do this, shelve everything else in life and focus solely on this? I knew the likelihood of actually doing it in three years was nearly nil, but I thought it could be done. So I was like, well, if it could be, I should at least try. Um, with COVID last year, it's definitely thrown out the window. And I would say even before that, it was pretty much out the window. I was like, I could maybe get to 45 in three years. But there's a few, like you mentioned, that are seriously burly lines that have only been skied once or twice in history. So those lines are going to take some time. But um, what what I also didn't know was like, was I going to love this throughout it? Was I going to love going this hard, putting myself in these situations, traveling around the country and, and doing hard work, a lot of, a lot of type two fun to get up and down these, these lines. Um, and so that was kind of what I was curious about when I committed to it was like, how hard can I go? How much can I navigate a lot of dangerous lines throughout a season safely um, know when to turn around and not be impacted mentally by the drive to want to get this done, but um, put safety and turning around as the most important priority, not trying to complete this project. So um, it's things that I've, I like still have to think about today. Um, a lot of the skills, like when it came to ropes and ice axes and stuff, I'm honestly still feel like I'm learning that. Um, yeah, I think it's all actually pretty simple, but I feel like I'm still learning my way through this whole entire process. Yeah. Well, and one of the cool things, and I should mention, so the, the 50 projects start in when you, when you started it, it, uh, you were able to, uh, coordinate with, uh, a lot of your sponsors and, and create it as a video project, right? So you've, so each line is documented in, in a video that you've posted. So it's, it's become this really fantastic way to follow along with the ski mountaineering, uh, you know, journey that you're on. And, and, and for folks who haven't skied any of these lines or maybe only some to be, to be able to watch it along with you through GoPro and, and film that, that you and your, and your, uh, your, your co-skier and cinematographer Bjarne have been, have been providing, um, so it's, it, it's, it's not like it's, it's happening out there somewhere. And then people hear snippets about it. You get to follow along in real time and, 
Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that, that really struck me, I, I think it was your first season, uh, was the pace at which you were tagging some of them. I think there was one period where you were in Colorado and you hit like, um, the Landry line and Holy Cross and one or two others in like a two week period. maybe. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was, that run was, that run was why I called you and I'll tell athletes <laughs> to start training because, uh, we had this run where I think in, is it four weeks in four weeks we did, or maybe just over four weeks. I got to actually like look at it, but we did nine lines and those nine lines were not small lines. So yeah, we did pyramid, North Maroon, Holy cross, Wilson peak, Mactuckanakovitz, um, Mount Williamson, the Grand Teton, Middle Teton, Meteorite, and Pontoon. So no, it was 10 lines. It was 10 lines in five weeks. That's what it was. And it was, I, it was the most I've ever been exhausted in my life. Like I, I mean, that's not even just like doing two a week. It's then traveling to there. It's setting up film shoots. It's doing all the processing and the work behind it. It's trying to recover by driving 12 hours, getting out of your car after sleeping for four hours and going again. And that went, I went through pretty much the hardest like physical crash I've ever gone through. I came home, um, after our little Alaska run and I, like I literally couldn't get out of bed for like three days and I was on the couch, like to the point where I was like, I, sh- I check into like a doctor because like I am, I can't, I can't move. Like I have nothing in the tank and I've missed this really good window up in the Pacific Northwest uh, that was happening at that time. I knew it was happening, but I'm like, I can't, I can't move. I can't do anything right now. So um, that's when I realized I was like, yeah, I, I need to train a little bit harder because that was a huge push, but I feel like I could have gotten through it with more physical fitness. Yeah. So going into it in, in prior to that season, like what was your, what sort of training did you do? So in thinking about, you know, you know, what you were looking toward and, and not knowing exactly how many lines you'd be able to tick off in that first season, but knowing that it was going to require this um, additional or, or, or different type of uh, effort than, than you were maybe used to doing when you were doing more ski films and heli and snowmobile access stuff. Uh, what sort of training did you do that first year to, to get you poised for, for what may come? Nothing. <laughs> um, it, well, there was, was a bit of a rhetorical question since I knew, yeah, but <laughs> it was a blend of like, so I will say like the, the video portion of it is that that's my job portion. I'm a professional skier. And um, I knew like, right, it dawned on me at one point, I was like, you know, this episodic series on YouTube will probably be something that people will be fascinated by. And I spent uh, six straight months trying to convince sponsors to help me out to offset the cost of this. And it was a lot of work convincing someone on something that's never been done like this in skiing. Um, I would pitch it out being like 80% of the, the episodes are going to be not skiing. It's not ski focused. It's everything else focused. And there's going to be like a minute and a half of skiing in a, in a 20 minute episode. So I was very much like trying to pitch it out and um, I spent a lot of time that summer working and that fall working, trying to get it all done. Um, I was like flying internationally to have meetings with brands to be like, can you do this for me? Like push this through. And, and that's what it took. Um, I was doing my normal training, which was always in my free skiing season, which was mainly like uh, go biking, uh, go to the gym quite a lot, do strength training. Um, and then I figured 
honestly, that I would get into the season and kind of tour my way into shape. And I also looked at it. It was like, well, the bigger lines are later in the season. Some of the smaller lines were early. So I'll just start touring and going, going from there. And it semi worked and it worked to a point where then I got to be able to complete all the lines, but I wasn't recovering because I was gassing myself so much from some of these big days that I wasn't recovering properly. And I think that's what really led to the absolute crash. My baseline was low. Um, it was high enough to get to the top of everything and get to the next one and go again. I also think I have strong will like that, but it wasn't necessarily like the best course of action. And that's when I started looking to, to training in a, in a more kind of direct way that would benefit, benefit this. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's true, like thinking about it in terms of, you know, you progress into the year and you start with, you know, you do some, some early touring before you really start diving into, into, um, the objectives and then, and then you build. And, and as you say, like that can, that can work pretty well. And, you know, some of the bigger lines maybe would be theoretically in the spring, but, but then when you have, as you say, like this maybe unexpected window where suddenly three or four lines come into form in a short period and you just like, you just have to bang them off. Um, yeah, the, the recovery angle starts to, starts to rear its head. I remember when, when we had our, our first conversation and we were talking about, you know, what you were kind of describing what you just did and like what you had going into it and what you felt like you were really missing at the end of that, at the end of that season and what you wanted to build on. And it's like kind of compiling notes on that. And I was like, well, how do you feel about, you know, your strength on, on the descending? And you're like, Oh, I can, like one, one thing that really resonated with me and, and made a lot of sense is you acknowledging, like, even when you would be, totally gassed getting to the top of a line. Like you could ski whatever was in front of you on the downhill. And, and I think that we've had a couple of podcasts and, and written a lot of things about like the, the idea of, of strength and specificity. Like you've spent your life as a, as a professional skier skiing incredible lines, many of which are technically more difficult than what you're, than what you're skiing in the 50. And so and that's, it speaks really well to that idea of training specifically for what you want to do, because that's the advantage is then you get to the top of the line after having skinned five or 6,000 feet of vert at altitude. And you're looking down the pipe at something that looks gnarly and windblown. You're like, well, yeah, my legs can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And that's, I what, the that's, the way I, that's the way I felt. One, I had the muscle memory. And two, it was in my initial conversations with you when I was realizing that like, wait, I spent my whole life training for one thing. And that was specificity on the down. Um, I was, I learned how to train from ski racing and from, uh, football. My dad is a football coach and I grew up around weight rooms. So, um, as I started to learn through both the, you know, the like U.S. ski team program and through uh, football, I was able to kind of be like, okay, this is what I know I need for free skiing performance. And it's a lot of power and a lot of like quick power. So I would train really heavy on Olympic lifts. Um, I would do a lot of Olympic lifting and I would do obviously their basics on squats and like all your kind of, but full body strength and power to go through it. And so that worked for a really long time. I remained uh, fairly healthy throughout my career. Um, I definitely had injuries that are of name of the game in our, in our sport, but I never had career altering injuries. Um, I was able to bounce back pretty well because I felt like I was quite strong when it came to just power. Um, but when that applies to going up, I realized, well, I, that's this 
quick tit, quick twitch power that doesn't work for hiking six, 10, 12, that vertical thousand feet and like meaty power or something like that. And keeping this like long endurance going. And that's when I realized too, it was like, yeah, this training that I need to do, I need to like transform the way my body works because this baseline has been built up for strength on the down for 15 years. Now I just need to add this into my quiver. Yeah. Yeah. So you started, I, um, I remember when we, when we spoke, you had, you had kind of built a, a training program for yourself. And I think it must've been after the first year of, uh, of the 50. And so it would have been summer of 2019, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you, you read, uh, one of the books training for the uphill athlete maybe, and, um, and put together a basic aerobic plan. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how did that end up that seemed to work well and kind of open your eyes to the possibility that in focusing on that, you could see these, these gains that really translated well. Yeah, it did. And that was, I did, I bought the book and I started reading it and I started understanding and kind of trying to think about the concepts. And, um, you know, I've seen some of the way my friends trained and my first thing was like, okay, well I'll focus a little bit more on aerobics. And the main thing I did that summer was throw 50, a 60 pound pack on my back and hike up squaw and hike up slowly and try and do it. I wasn't measuring my heart rate though, but I would just be like, can I be talking right now? I think I'm in that, that realm, but I wasn't like to the precision of what's your zone two, what's your zone three or anything like that. And so I was hiking that fall quite a lot doing that. I was keeping with, you know, just typical like mountain biking and going to go into the gym and whatnot, but just adding that of hiking slow with a heavy pack up into like into my quiver, all of a sudden that year I came in so much stronger and it opened my eyes to like, okay, there's, there's something even more to this because obviously, um, just that muscle movement and that, that lower heart rate, um, did something for me. And that was coming into this season where I was like, okay, I'm, I, I have the time or COVID lockdown, not traveling. Um, but I actually hired an agent and producer to help me with the business side of it. And I can focus more on the athletics of it because I also know these bigger, more dangerous lines that where speed and endurance on the way up actually equate to safety. I really want to start focusing on that. I'm moving away from some of these easy 3000 foot, um, ski descents that, you know, arguably can lap two or three times, um, to big guys like, uh, University Peak, which is a seven to 8,000 foot boot pack. Um, you know, Mount Robson, which is a legendary alpine climb, let alone just a, a ski descent. Like, yeah. you know, I've thought of Robson as like, well, it's a gnarly ski descent. And then you kind of read about its lore of a, of an actual climb. You're like, oh, that's a really hard climb. Significant <laughs> objectives in, yeah, in one, yeah. yeah. Just getting into the top of Robson is something that's rare. And then skiing back down the North Face is something that's big. So I really started to be focused and I was like, pull away some of my other responsibilities in life to focus on strictly endurance and performance for this. Cause it's not only going to be performance based, but at this point it's going to equate to safety in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it's, that's a really astute point to think about. And I mean, we, we talk about it a lot, but I think it's something that can maybe sometimes be misconstrued when people think about, well, you know, moving fat, like 
you know, there's the fast and safety aspect, you know, that it's not, it's not necessarily moving fast to see how quickly you can tick something off car to car. Uh, but it's about being nimble, being adaptive to circumstances. You know, if, you know, something, you know, something bad happens, you have the ability and you have the reserve to be able to adapt to that as opposed to, you know, being part way up. And it's really all you can do to just keep going. Um, and a lot of decisions too, that are influenced by fatigue create really dangerous situations and in avalanche conditions and in big mountain lines, um, you know, decision-making when you're under duress and fatigue can lead to bad outcomes quite often. Um, so that alone, just having those energy reserves to be like feeling good and make a good decision there, um, whether that's okay, speed up because it is feeling like it's starting to warm and we got another half hour to the top and I've got the engine to just start motoring to the top and get off that mountain or whether that's to be carefully evaluating because you're aware of everything. You're your brain is uh is like astute and you know kind of lucid as opposed to being fatigued and just using anything you've got to hold on physically that's when you start to create better situations of safety for yourself and ultimately like i say with this project i've got three priorities with the with the project and the first priority is don't die second priority is have fun third priority is ski all 50 and it's very specific in that in that order so um so even though the goal is called, you know, the 50. It's like mainly is to try to do all the 50 and come home at the end of the day is my main takeaway from it. So I feel like this physical fitness is part of that package that leads to a better day and safer day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you say, having fun, I mean, it's, it's more enjoyable, (laughs) I think, you know, is to be, you know, to feel like you're not uh, just, barely, barely scraping your way up, but you know, you're, you're in these magnificent places often for the first time. So having the, having the wherewithal to be able to look around and enjoy it. And I think one of the things that's been really fun watching, um, the, the videos and, and following your progress is, you know, you're each of each one, you're usually going in addition to you and, and Bjarne Salen, your, your cinematographer, you, you've got, uh, these other characters that you're skiing with, you know, lo- locals or professionals in their own right from, from different, from different realms of the skiing or the alpinism world. Uh, and so there's a, there's an advantage there as well to have this base of fitness so that you can be, you know, adapting to, you know, what their level is and enjoying that instead of <laughs> just hanging on, hanging on for dear life. Totally. No. And that's been one of the, the dirty secrets of this project is one of, one of my goals with it was like when the video component, I was like, well, it'd be really good to bring in like locals, legends, pros, like just a variety of people. Cause that makes it more fun. And it's cool to, to, to get to ski with people. I don't always get a chance to. And, um, one of the things I've learned through that and what, uh, wasn't necessarily an intention is one, get a lot of good local beta and two, learning a lot from a lot of people. So lessons from like Jimmy Chin, you know, like a legend of alpinism, like and an amazing climber and skier. And you're like, cool, I get to do the grand with one of the greatest ever and learn all these lessons that were passed down from, you know, Conrad Anchor and Mug Stumps through him. Like, how lucky is that? Same with like Jeremy Jones and just like taking away lessons from everyone has been a really cool part of the project. I'd say, um, probably for me, it's the coolest because I've gotten to learn so much from these, these fellow people that I'm going up with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, you know, harkening back to your earlier point about like the skills that you brought into it and, and some of the things that, 
you kind of learn some of it you learn on the go, or at least you, you would, you improve on the go, you know, technical work and ropes and gear and all of that. Like so much of that is, uh, can be transferred really well through those sorts of mentorship, uh, relationships that you have where, you know, going, yeah, whether it's with Jimmy Chin or, or another athlete that you're on a, on a climb with, they have a particular way of doing it. That's just intuitive. That just clicks with you. And, and, you know, that's, that's something that, that really can't be manufactured. It has to happen organically in those circumstances or because the, you know, the particular uh, incident arises that requires it. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. Um, so yeah, thinking about, we're thinking about training. So you, I remember we, we first spoke, uh, last summer sometime and you had, uh, you had done what became the film that was released, uh, this December, the mountain Y, which was, uh, a huge bike packing trip combined with skiing three big, uh, cascade mountains. Uh, and, and I remember that you know, you'd kind of given me the, the story that, that you've just said, but then you said like, that was kind of like the coup de gras, you know, like this thing was massive <laughs> and, and you know i you know that i need to you wanted to round out this base of training so yeah talk talk a little bit about that because then since the film's come out it's been i mean it was an unbelievable undertaking yeah yeah a thousand mile bike ride with a hundred pound bikes and climbing three big peaks is definitely not easy and it went it pushed me to my absolute physical end like what i talked about with the, the first season of it was like this was on a different level um we and the reason like it got so hard is the last seven days we didn't take a single rest day so we um we biked up to 5,000, 25 miles, 5,000 feet up to Rainier, and then went, did a two-day ascent and descent to Rainier, got on our bikes on that third day and started riding again, and then rode for four days straight, and then climbed El Dorado Peak, which was a 7,000 vertical foot um, mountain. And in that time, we had another weather, we had a weather window and we had to hit it. Otherwise we we're going into a two week shutdown, which we had just sat through before. So we had no time to actually rest from any of this. So, you know, climb Rainier and get on your bike and ride 400 miles to then go climb another peak, um, with a lot of up and down along the way. It was like, yeah, I, 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 I think I told you this in, in the beginning of our conversation, like, and I wanted to see if uh, this was validated, but I felt like it was an, an out of body experience on that last day. Like I was felt like I was hallucinating practically. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't, I didn't know what a concept was. Like, I didn't know. I was like, I'm not me right now. I'm just moving through mountains. I don't know what's going, <laughs> like, what's going on. Um, luckily, the situation out, outside of it, it was still uh, um, observative enough to know that eh, it's all safe and we had good partners and stuff. But it was still, it was absolutely nuts. Um, it was funny, too, because Michelle and I, the partner on the, the trip, we both were like, oh, we're going to be so strong for mountain biking when we get home. It took a solid three weeks to maybe a month to actually recover from that. Like, yeah. I remember going for a bike ride uh, uh, two weeks later, and I was like, all right, time to crush. And I was like, strumming it. And I'm like, it's like, what's the opposite of a PR? <laughs> I had that. <laughs> going up a, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, this normal bike ride I do at my backyard is so hard. And I was like, I still have no energy. And Michelle and I were checking in. I'm like, did you do anything lately? She's like, I can't get off the couch. I'm like, okay, good, me too. It was 
yeah, it was unbelievable of how hard that ended up being. And that's, again, was another catalyst. I'm like, all right, like more, more training, more to get my baseline even, even stronger. Um, because, you know, maybe I'm not going to be doing another thousand mile ride, but uh, I just know that I'm not going to suffer as much if I'm more fit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I wouldn't even want to look at a bike seat for months afterwards. So <laughs> good on yeah, you for considering it. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I would say when we started a bike pro- the program and there's biking in it, it was really nice to get on my bike with nothing strapped on it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the only saving grace. I'm like, Oh my God, this thing weighs like 18 pounds. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we, um, yeah, so we connected in, I think August. Uh, so you'd had maybe a couple months of you know, recovering from that trip and, um, you know, pa- somewhat past, you know, it's the best of our knowledge kind of past that point of the, the deep fatigue that comes in. Cause, you know, it's true. Like the longer, the longer the effort and certainly when it's something that's lasting several weeks, I mean, that, that fatigue takes a long time to truly manifest. Um, and we see that with a lot of our, uh, our mountaineering clients and, and people who are doing these multi-week expeditions. And you know, oftentimes you get back from something like that and, you know, might not feel that bad, particularly if you're coming from, you know, for a mountaineering objective, and you're coming from high elevation and you come back down to home and it's, you know, sea level or something. And, uh, you have this sense of feeling pretty good. And then you just, you just start sliding down and <laughs> the fatigue continues to accumulate and accumulate. Um, so we, yeah, we connected, and you'd been back from that from a couple months. And, um, I remember getting started and the, and the thing that I think will be interesting to talk about because it's, uh, I know it was a, a change for you was in, in thinking about how we were going to approach your training. Um, my, my thought on it and what we talked about was trying to think about not only building and improving your aerobic capacity, but thinking about it in terms of building it with, uh, speed. So improving your economy, being able to move faster uphill before we, uh, gave you, you know, the 50 pound pack and, and said, okay, now move, move with this big thing. And I, and I remember asking you, well, are, do you run at all? <laughs> and I, and I, th- I think he said something along the lines of like, you, you, you'd run occasionally from one place to the next growing up, but it really wasn't a part of your game. Yeah. I had tried to get into running and I just remember telling you, I was like, yeah, it's not for me. Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I, it was pretty I, absolute. Like, <laughs> it was pretty absolute. So I was like, so if we can do like any sort of training besides running, I'm good. I ended up being about 70% of the, the training I did was running. Yeah. Um, and you did something that I never thought any person in humanity could do, which was you've turned me into a runner. Um, and, uh, uh, it was actually a really cool process. And I thought you did a really, really good job of like easing your way into it. And I had a big revelation with it too. It was like, when it comes to running, you feel like we all know what it feels like to run, to run from one place to another. But then I would go behind my house before I started working, you would go for a trail run. And I'm like zone four, zone fiving up mountains and just like ankles are hurting knees are hurting lungs are hurting just like uh, so gassed and then like coming back down just like this sucks this is so stupid i I don't like this i'm in pain and it would take me like a week to recover and i tried again and i was just like like, okay i'm not into this and then when you started me off and it was like literally like the the 
cool down style, which was run for 30 seconds and then walk for 30 seconds, run for 30 seconds and do that for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And it was like this all of a sudden kind of like on our cool down days, I was really enjoying that 30 seconds of running and then kind of getting your pace back and then 30 seconds of running and getting it back. And I realized I was just in a certain way, you look at like running videos and guys running through the mountains and it looks really cool. You want to go do that. Just like you watch a ski movie and you see someone skiing down Alaska spines and you're like, that looks really cool. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. The thing is it's more recognizable. I feel like in skiing to be like, well, I'm not skilled enough to go do that. When it comes to running, we're watching Killian Jornet do that through the mountains. And you're like, cool, I'm going to try that. And you, we can't even remotely run at that speed. It generally involves walking for most 99% of humans. So just the way we started with pacing and the way you taught me to strike, I strike and land on my feet and just kind of like keep it in a mellow state. All of a sudden I was enjoying those one hour runs, two hour runs. And to the point where, you know, by the end we were doing three hour mountain runs and it involves, it's not running the whole time. You're walking up when it gets steep and running when you're, you know, when you can. And I was just like absolutely loving those days. And it realized that the two months that we worked on getting to that point was just like training your body to understand like the impact, to feel that impact, training your body to kind of like adapt to this new way of moving through mountains. And all of a sudden it became enjoyable. And it kind of speaks, I think, to just like even backcountry skiing and ski touring is like so often we can go out there and we try and go out there so hard as beginners. And if you just slow it down, you're going to enjoy it way more. Um, the, the big crux of it is quite often we feel like, oh, it's hard, so I got to make it hard. Or there's that ego of like, oh, I got to keep up with these people or people are on my tail and want to pass me. And you're just like, yeah, let them pass because you're going to end up enjoying the day that much more. So um, it was it was a really interesting process to go through like no no running to now i go on runs for fun yeah well it was, it was great because i i mean to your credit you uh you you went along with it <laughs> you know like you were you were very straightforward about about the fact that you did not do it and you weren't that inclined to do it and i think i kind of I was like all right cool and then but it but i remember at the end of that first conversation you're like you know if, like I'll, I'll try it, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, and, and I was like, well, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll do it as recovery. And, and there's, there are other ways we can train. Like you can, you can go hike uphill every single day. And that's in, in some ways that's more specific. Right. But I remember it was, it was like a, a couple of weeks in and you were, it was prescribed that you do, you know, the 30 seconds on 30 seconds off, or maybe like a minute on 30 seconds off. And, and I think you, you commented on one of those workouts that, that you just ended up running the whole time. <laughs> You're like, yeah, it felt pretty good. So I just kind of kept going <laughs> like, Oh, all right. And, you know, and I think that again, it's, it's that, uh, what you, yeah, what you comment on with like backcountry skiers or any kind of skill set, And it's, it's you know, obviously more of a challenge nowadays than it's ever been before because we have this huge aspirational culture. Uh, we see the best of the best doing these things. As you say, you see Killian running along ridge spines, or you see someone like yourself skiing these incredible faces in the Alpine, and you think, okay, well, that's what I need to go do, and I'm just going to go start doing that thing. And it. Uh, and it's important to, to put that in context and, and realize the, the breadth of work that those people or, or anybody who's, you know, posting or writing about doing that sort of thing, the breadth of work that they've put in to get there, um, which is the, which is the crux for most of us, right? Is to have the patience to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it was, it was great for you and, and 
to the point of, you know, learning a different way to move through the mountains um, because it does open up, you know, running in particular, just like, just like backcountry skiing uh, versus going to a resort opens up these avenues to move through terrain in a completely different way and, and broadens that skill set that, you know, hopefully then translates to these other places as well. Yeah, no, it definitely, definitely does. Like, I just feel like just with this summer of training is like, cool. Like one of my favorite things of, of backcountry skiing is like, it's moving through mountains and you're enjoying the up and the discovery process and dropping over ridge lines as much as the skiing. And now having like this ability to move through mountains in a new way, a little bit faster running, but knowing that like, Oh, I could keep this pace up for the next eight hours if I do this. And like seeing, you know, the sunrise on top of mountains after a three hour run, it's just like, it's incredible. And so it feels like it just adds this quiver to my enjoyment of where I live. Um, mm. You know, I finding myself, you know, it's like, yeah, I love mountain biking because I love the down, but I'm also kind of like thinking, I'm like, man, next summer, I can't wait to try this trail to go for a run or, you know, I'm already, I've already semi-committed to doing the, the, the 56k tra- uh, sky running race. Next yeah, year. Broke not to try and, yeah, not to try and like get a place or anything. I just want to finish. I'm, just, yeah. I'm like, if I can finish under the time, that's my goal. And it'd be really cool to do that. So yeah, uh, yeah it's been, it's been a cool process of, I don't know, just adding what it's like to live in the mountains and adding a uh, kind of almost fundamental human skill to your quiver. Yeah. Yeah. And Nordic skiing now. Yes. Yeah. Nordic skiing, which is going straight after your heart. You're taking all the lycra, man. (laughs) I am. I am. Well, I will say that was a little influenced by the fact that there's been absolutely no snow here. Um, I also have the cross country skiing center in my backyard, which is awesome. And yeah, it was always kind of like, you know, I've seen more friends starting to do it and I'm like, yeah, it's actually really fun and a great like hour workout or whatever. So um, luckily I'm sponsored by Solomon who happens to make some very good uh nordic skiing equipment and uh yeah so i got a full quiver and actually even my wife who's not much of an endurance athlete she doesn't like that kind of stuff she's been enjoying it too so um i've been texting you for pointers trying to get my skate skiing technique uh, a little bit better but i've been really enjoying it it's kind of a you know it's in a certain way when the snow's terrible and then the, the cross-country ski track is really good. So um, if I want to, like, be able to get my work done through the day and go get an hour workout, it's right there in my backyard. And I can go have fun with it. Yeah. Oh, it's it, exactly. The week, a friend of mine and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago because we went through a, a funky period here with the backcountry. And it had, you know, rained up to a certain point. And then above that, there was, you know, massive winds in the Alpines. So there was basically skiing was not good. And we're like, well, Nordic skiing is going to be great, you know, and, and spent a week and a half in fantastic Nordic skiing where the snow is transformed and groomed and fast and ripper. And, 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 you know, he, I think he made the comment to me, it's like, this is like it'd be kind of a bummer if it, if the only thing that you did was backcountry skiing, because you then, then you're just sitting twiddling your thumbs waiting for the next thing. So having that, having that versatility, just like being able to run, you know, and I think, I think remember talking about that. It's like, you know, this is, if you can, if you can find a way to, you know, if we can, if we can build up that ability to, to run or, or to do something like Nordic skiing, then it just, it gives you more breadth um, in both, not only skills, but also just for enjoyment and kind of enriching yourself. For sure. And one of the things I'm 
really learned. And I think this is when you're young, you know, you like to identify yourself in a certain faction of a, of a sport or something. You're like, I'm a free skier or, um, and as you kind of grow up and you, you, you start to see like, wait a minute, like maybe these divisions aren't necessarily as hard as I w- once thought it to be, you know, 20 years ago, I'd laugh at Nordic skiing and be like, that's stupid. I'm, I ski squaw and I jump off cliffs. That's what I do. But what I'm realizing is like, I, I'm just a skier and I don't like labeling myself a backcountry skier because there's days when it's dangerous in a backcountry when the ski resort is magical. It's controlled. There's chairlifts. You can go have a blast at the ski resort. Then there's days where the ski resorts are crowded. Boom, go backcountry skiing and like find, uh, discover new places, get a, like an amazing workout in and ski perfect powder. But then when that all goes away too, then you're like, well, then there's cross country skiing. And I'm, I realized like all these little divisions of cross country skiing, backcountry skiing, uh, park skiers and uh, race skiers and all these kind of things. Like to me, I identify just as a a skier because I like all aspects of the sport. Like I like hauling ass and carving turns, but I like going in the backcountry. But now I'm in finding this enjoyment with cross country skiing. They're like, it's all the same thing. There's two sticks that you're sliding on snow on, but you're just doing it in like slightly different ways that best adapts to the conditions that Mother Nature is giving you. And that's what I really find fascinating about skiing is like adapting to what the mountains give you, what the mountains let you do. And it's one of my philosophies for even backcountry skiing is like you don't ski objectives because you want to ski objectives like you have that objective in mind but you're it's really the mountain is the boss in it and you got to listen to her to figure out if she's saying turn around or uh continue so to me like adding these extra quivers these extra things in my quiver of skiing whether it's nordic skiing backcountry skiing resort skiing it's just like a way to adapt to our environment and have fun so mm-hmm. that's kind of uh, a philosophy i've started to kind of synthesize yeah no i i I think that's, I think it's all the more important now, as I said, you know, thinking about sort of the aspirational culture, which in so many ways is great with, you know, with the mountains and people wanting to get into them and experiencing these new sports. Um, but retaining or, or really reinforcing that idea that it is about, you know, sort of building this, you know, building your comprehensive self. Right. And, and sort of experiencing it all these different ways. And, um, one of the things I I was interested in asking you sort of as a, a way to, to wind things up a little bit. I know you're really involved in, in addition to the many other things that you do uh, in um, avalanche safety and avalanche training with people uh, doing clinics around, around the country and, and, you know, and just being, being an ambassador of the sport and, and certainly seeing the the explosion of growth that we've seen in, in the back country and in, and in new users, like, are you know are you are you seeing in kind of in conjunction with that uh, an interest and a willingness on the part of you know many of the new users that you're interacting with to you know kind of develop those skill sets incrementally and kind of find find their way into these into these new sports and through a process um like is there do you have do you have a concern about that necessarily that people are going to dive in just head first and and get themselves into trouble or do you feel like it's it's happening in a in a progressive way I mean, I definitely fear of people just jumping in, being too aspirational, watching one of my videos and being like, cool, I want to go ski that line without that necessary experience. Um, but, and I 
that's why I talk about safety so often, but I don't also feel like it's a responsibility to talk about safety. Like, I don't feel like it should be something that everyone goes in the mountains. You need to like add a little asterisk mark to like the end of your picture on Instagram saying this was done on moderate average danger on a 38 degree slope, you know, like you don't necessarily have a responsibility for, but for me, what I found really cool about the sport was all the mentorship that I had got from uh, a lot of the legends of the sport. And I realized like I had all these like amazing lessons from people that I found fascinating to try to synthesize, to make my own way through mountains more safe and more enjoyable. And through the project, it was like, well, that's what I find fascinating. So I want to be able to share those secrets, though that knowledge with more people. And I think with it is I'm just trying to show people that like in just the project itself, like one, we're not just professional skiers going out there and sending. We're just like, not like, all right, it's good to go. Like I wanted to show them the the behind the scenes dirtiness of it, show them like professional skiers that people look up to and, you know, look up to as like superhumans. And I'm like, I'm not a superhuman. I'm scared out of my mind right now. And I want to like tell them that because that's real and it allows other people to be scared and not think that they watched a film of me and going like, I'm so scared and be like, but you know, Cody could send like this. So let's just keep going. Like, I want to let people know they're like, no, it's scary. And there's times to turn around and show them that like, some of the biggest risk takers, which more maybe they're presumed to be the biggest risk takers, are very calculated in their decision making and quite often turn around to in the interest of safety. So to me, it's something like I've taken passionately because and want to talk about because I find it interesting. And I'm hoping uh, it wasn't like a goal of the project to like share this, but it was like a goal because I found it interesting and I wanted to like kind of just put it out there. Um, I kind of like to consider myself an open book. Like I'm not scared to tell people I'm scared. I'm not scared to, um, you know, say when I'm tired and need to turn around because I'm tired. Um, like these are the kind of things I just think it's real and they're all human emotions we all go through and it's more relatable in, in that sort of way. And I think it's been kind of one of the successes. And like I said, it wasn't something I set out to do, but it's been, I think I've, I've heard a lot of feedback that people are taking it like that, which I'm hopeful that people are seeing. This isn't a progression you just rush through. Um, you know, I've been a professional skier for a long, long time and I'm showing people that like, I still feel new with this. I still feel scared with this. I am questioning myself, doubting this, trying to make decisions, being observational throughout the entire process and, and only sending when the conditions warrant. So to me, it's been cool to get that feedback that like I get notes from people like saying like, I, just got into backcountry to skiing this year and I just took my Abbey one course and I'm going to do this next course. And I'm really like inspired by the way you're talking about it. I'm like, that's awesome that people are like looking at it and being like, okay, what do I need to do first? Well, get an avalanche course and then go from there, you know? So instead of just like buy a setup and go backcountry skiing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I mean, I think that's, you know, what the, what the project is you've been presenting it in the videos have shown is that it, yeah, it's that, process oriented, even with, you know, and, and it kind of, it's, it's, it's regardless of, you know, for someone who's maybe, you know, knowledgeable or experienced as a skier and they look at some of the lines like, Oh, I could, yeah, I could ski that, but it's still like, there's never a point at which it, there's it's, it's casual, you know, in, in, in the way that, in the way that you're approaching it and the way that you're displaying, which I think is really important is that, you know, there's intention every time. And, and if you sort of 
if you develop your, you know, your, your heuristics to be more, more casual, then that's how you're going to approach things that maybe demand a higher degree of, of intention and, and caution. And so just having that methodology throughout is going to, is going to serve you, serve you the best. So, and I think it, um, I think it's really valuable, especially again, now, as we enunciate, like how many, how many more people are excited about doing this stuff, which is, which is great. Uh, but this, it's all the more important that, um, that it's thought of as, as a pursuit as opposed to just, you know, something to tick off. Yeah. It's a, it's a lifelong learning process. And like, that's one of the things we try and say in like the avalanche courses we teach is like, we're, we're educators and we're teaching avalanche classes and I'm also taking avalanche classes. This isn't like, cool, I'm an expert. I'm done. This yeah. is something that is a lifelong process and you're always learning. You're always observing. You're always constantly trading and updating your information because like, Backcountry skiing, it's dangerous. It's really, really dangerous. Like, I think about it in this terms of, like, if someone told you, like, hey, like, here's Disneyland. Have a good time. But just just to let you know, like, someone might pop out around the corner and shoot you in the head. Would you go? And you're like, well, what's the percentage chance? You're like, that eh, depends. Certain days it could be higher. Certain days it could be lower. And we don't think of (laughs) certain days you're just like riding rides for free and having a great time. But there's always that threat of someone could pop around the corner and shoot you in the head. And that's kind of what backcountry skiing is to me. And it's seen, it's glorified. It's something that is incredibly special and incredibly fun, but it ultimately is really dangerous. We don't see, you know, mountain biking as something where like you can go mountain biking and the whole mountains aren't going to collapse on you. Backcountry skiing is like that. And to me, that's one of the things that I think reiterating, especially, I guess, by the pros about how seriously we take safety just helps uh, iterate to the audience that like, look, like this is a beautiful sport, but it's ultimately really dangerous. And you have to be very, very cautious um, because, again, the same analogy, it just all things could be good. And then just boom, you get shot in the head and you're done. And yeah. it's game over. And it, it happens that quickly. You know, just reading a incident report from Utah where there's those four fatalities, that tragic avalanche. And it was just, it was exactly that. There's third lap in the same zone. And then everything hit the fan and four lives were ended right then. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of seriousness that we have to, we have to have while in the backcountry. So it's something that for myself, I'm, I, I want to talk about. Um, and I try to talk about it humbly because you know i don't consider myself an avalanche expert um i consider myself a risk risk expert i'm very good at um, mitigating risk and dealing with risk and and fear but when it comes to avalanche um potential i still think of myself as like uh in freshman year still trying to learn and i hope that even if i'm in my 60s i'll still feel like i'm in freshman year trying to learn yeah. Swimming with sharks. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what a friend of mine's described it as. Yeah. You know, sometimes the sharks are farther away, but, uh, but they're always, they're always lurking somewhere. Totally. Yeah. Well, okay. So you're, so you're about to, you're about to take off and, and yeah. start, start chasing, start chasing some objectives again. Things are lining up. And so how are, we'll, we'll, we'll cap it off here with, uh, you know, feeling, feeling prepared, feeling ready. Yeah, I feel really, really prepared. Definitely the most physically prepared I have. Um, it's definitely still a waiting process where, um, 
you know, I'm heading off on the first kind of like warm up trip that's not necessarily related to the 50, but starting to really narrow in on a couple potential lines right now. But um, the avalanche conditions across pretty much North America are quite weird this year. So we're going to be approaching cautiously and with a lot of patience. Um, but yeah, regardless of every of that, of what's going on in the mountains, like I've been ski touring around my you know, backyard, been cross country skiing, and I feel as like good as I've ever felt coming into a season. I've been making a point um, of being the trail breaker pretty much 100% of the time for everybody. And uh, the joke lately has just been straight up like, uh, um, all right, we need more uphill athlete trainers out here because <laughs> we need more people breaking trail. I was, I was wondering, yeah, I think you'd mentioned a couple of times when we were, when you were, you know, in the midst of the running and, and all of that, you're like, I'm, I'm testing the boundaries with some of my friends becoming a runner. <laughs> like, totally. You get, you getting, you getting some converts over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think maybe, maybe they're just happy I'm training because I'm doing <laughs> trail for them. <laughs> exactly. As long as there's one of you, they can, you can throw you out there. Well, cool, yeah. man. Cody, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me and yeah, give us, give us some previews for what's coming up. But, uh, I'm really psyched to, to see how things go this year. And, and, and as you start, you know, tagging some of these, particularly some of the more impressive ones, I think everybody's really excited to see. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to get to that point. I'm excited to hit the road and, uh, thank you for, uh, the training this summer. And I'm definitely going to get be back with it because I think it's really set me up well to have success this year. So, uh, I've appreciated it all. You guys are a class act at uphill athletes. So uh, I thank you. Yeah, man. No, it's, it's, it's been great to work with you. So we'll I'll look forward to touching base and in the meantime, safe travels and, uh, yeah, be safe in the mountains, man. Sounds good. Later, Sam. All right. See you, Cody. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.